Good morning. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 1450 AM. The signal that goes back 77 years plus. 1039 in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And uh, we are going to talk theater in the first segment of the show today. And joining us is the director of the upcoming production of The Sound of Music, August 11th through the 13th at the Colonial Theater in Laconia, Brian Halpern. And uh, Brian, thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. Well, it is our pleasure, and uh, we're very excited about it here because our very own uh, general manager slash producer, Cat uh, Martinez, is uh, going to be in the show. So uh, we've been uh, hearing a little bit about what has been going on at rehearsals and so forth. So we're very excited about it here. And uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about uh, your background as a, a director in, in theater. Sure. Um, I actually moved to New Hampshire to start a theater with my wife and sister and brother-in-law in 2004, and I've pretty much been doing theater full-time ever since. I've done summer stock producing and directing. I've done community theater. I've done youth theater. I've done educational theater at the Interlake School District for the last nine years. So... I've done just a little bit of everything, uh, all, all, all levels, all ages, and uh, we've now settled in uh, Laconia doing this uh, new theater company called Powerhouse Theater Collaborative. And, and tell us how uh, that all began. Well, uh, my wife and I uh, were on the committee helping the city sort of figure out um, the, the planning committee for the refurbishment and reopening of the Colonial. Uh, for those who don't know, the Colonial is a historic uh, 1914 vaudeville theater, a very beautiful theater that eventually became a movie, movie theater and then was divided into a multiplex um, and then sat vacant for about 20 plus years, um, just sort of falling into disrepair. And the city and the Belknap Economic Development Council um, got together and came up with a plan to uh, buy it from the previous owner and then restore it and reopen it as a public venue. And uh, so we were involved in that process, uh, helping them, giving them advice on what you know, the theater might need and what could be done there. And then when it took uh, about six years to sign and put it all together and make it happen, and then um, the city asked us if we would uh, be involved in you know some programming for the theater. So uh, we were doing some work at the Belknap Mill, which is another historic uh, location in uh, downtown Laconia as a sort of community and arts and education center about the Laconia's industrial heritage. Uh, it's a former mill building. And um, so we decided to expand our program there and bridge the uh, sort of the gap between these two historic venues that are now bringing culture to the Laconia and Lakes region again. And uh, so we do a program where we're doing our larger scale shows at the Colonial and smaller projects over at the mill. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's how it came about. Um, we were didn't necessarily expect to be opening a, a new theater group, but here we are, and so far it's going pretty great. Well, it, it certainly is, and uh, I, I have seen uh, a couple of uh, events already at the uh, 
at the refurbished Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. Uh, Brian, what what has it meant uh, to downtown Laconia to have this beautiful theater back again after so many years being dormant? Well, you know, Laconia's had some tough times, and this is definitely sort of a symbol of its rebirth. Uh, even when the construction started before the project was complete, you know, storefronts that had been vacant a long time were uh, starting to get new tenants, and new investors were coming in to buy up some of the other buildings and uh, renovate them. So there's definitely been new life uh, in Laconia that you know all of us involved in the city is very proud of the fact that the Colonial seems to have had an impact already. Um, and you know, the, the programming obviously brings people downtown when. You know, at times when normally there wouldn't be people down there, you know, weeknight evenings and weekends. And uh, it's definitely seen a, a positive impact already. And we hope that impact continues to grow and, and continues to build up our community. Well, I have uh, no doubt it, that it will. How, how important is it to uh, get the local community uh, involved uh, in, in your productions? Well, that's our whole mission, basically. And in fact, we're not the only residents at the Colonial. It's actually run by a management company called Spectacle Live, which manages a bunch of venues, including the Nashua venue. Um, and essentially, their job is to do the general operations of the Colonial and over uh, bring in you know national touring events like concerts and comedians and things like that. So the Lakes Region audience get a, get the chance to you know have, have, have national touring acts come through. And then we provide the community component, and that was very important to the city and to Spectacle and to our group to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, there were opportunities for local people to get on the stage as well. And when I say local, we're actually pulling people, you know, from Manchester, from Plymouth. You know, we have quite a a, a far geographic uh, radius for people who are participating in our production. So it's really getting a chance for, you know, lots of people throughout New Hampshire to get on this beautiful stage. Uh, no doubt about that. And uh, has has local theater, I know local theater w- was uh, one of the aspects of our lives that uh, uh, took quite a hit during the pandemic. Has it pretty much bounced back from that period? Well, unfortunately, no. I mean, you'll see there are stories all the time, uh, and, you know, na- nationally that, you know, regional theaters and theater in general are struggling all over the country. Um uh, because the uh, the donor base has sort of disappeared uh, or shrunk greatly, the subscription series base, and a lot of theaters that had you know a lot of overhead buildings to maintain, you know, a lot of large staffs are, are having trouble with that. Of course, that's the beauty of a small operation like Powerhouse is we have uh, you know we have we, we work out of the mill and out of the Colonial, and we uh, have very low overhead other than the money that we put into our shows and our staffing. So, uh, you know, we we have come out of the pandemic in good shape, but that's definitely not the case for, for theater as an industry. Mm. Um, and some of it has to do with the fact that we didn't start till during the pandemic. Uh, our first year, our first productions were in 2021. So, you know, we, we didn't have any sort of base to lose <laughs> that we were building from scratch anyway. Well, that that is true. and uh, But I do notice uh, that uh, tickets are, are going pretty rapidly for The Sound of Music uh, coming up uh, August 11th through the 13th. So uh, audiences are starting to return. And uh, I know uh, the, the community at large is very excited about the, about the show. Yeah, I mean, you know, it always helps when you have a, a title that's a classic that people are know of and it makes sort of the ticket-buying decision a, a little easier for people where, 
you know, they have some connection to the piece and they, they know they're likely to enjoy it. It's a little trickier when you're doing lesser known titles that people are like, hmm, do I want to go out? Do I want to? But, uh, you know, for, for something like Sound of Music, you're building on people's personal connections, whether they remember the movie from when they were a kid or they were in a production of it when they were in high school. Um, and sort of that nostalgia factor sort of definitely helps, helps bring people out. And it's, of course, a family-friendly show, so you know, multiple generations in a family can attend this together. Brian Halpern is our guest, the director of the upcoming Sound of Music at the Colonial Theater, the refurbished and beautiful Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. And Brian, as a director, what do you look for when you're casting a show? Well, I mean, obviously you're looking for talent, but our mission is twofold. We're, you know, we, we not only want to get, you know, the most talented people to come out, but we're also about building community through theater. So we also want good people and people who want to come and work hard and be part of an ensemble. And, you know, we try, and especially when we do larger scale productions like The Sound of Music, we try to include as many people who, is, who want to be involved. So... You know, if you can carry a tune, you can probably be a nun. And we have a very large nun choir. They sound amazing. Um, and uh, Kat is sort of the, the mother figure, figure to that group and uh, leads them in song throughout the play. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we look for good people and we look for talented people. And if they're talented and good, even, even better. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, large cast, how many, uh, how many in the cast of The Sound of Music? There's 46 in the Sound of Music, and believe it or not, that's not the biggest cast we've had so far. We had 60 people last year in our, our Christmas Carol production. Right. And we're, we're thinking we, we might beat that this year for, for this year's Christmas Carol. Well, I was fortunate enough uh, to see that one uh, last year, and, and that was terrific. And uh, looking forward to the Sound of Music coming up uh, August 11th. Uh, through the 13th. And, and Brian, stay with us. We have uh, some more questions for you and uh, talk more about uh, the sound of music and, uh, and uh, what's going on at the uh, beautiful Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. Brian Halpern, our right. guest, and uh, Kale and Company Live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Presented by Northeast Delta Dental, Brian Halpern is with us. He is the director of the Sound of Music coming up August 11th through the 13th at the refurbished Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. And also one of the founders of the Powerhouse Theater Collaborative. And uh, Brian, lots of musicals out there. Uh, as we alluded to in, in the prior segment, uh, very few with the lasting power and uh, the allure, if you will, uh, of the sound of music. Why is that? Well, I think like all the you know classic works that are still done today uh, and still popular today, part of it is the nostalgia factor, but part of it is because they're really well-crafted pieces that... that you know, hit all the right buttons to move an audience, to make an audience laugh, make an audience feel something. And of course, even though Sound of Music 
um, you know, is not necessarily thought of as any sort of play with, with a political message. You know, there are some timely mm-hmm. parallels to things going on in the world today that Sound of Music addresses. So even if you want to come and just annoy, enjoy it and watch the kids sing and, you know, fall in love with Maria and celebrate their, you know, their harrowing escape, you know, if you want to look at it a little deeper, you can think about sort of the political impacts that the Von Trapp family were were facing in the late 1930s in Europe and, you know, see how that relates to our, to our lives today. So, you know, like, like all the best work, things like Fiddler on the Roof is another one that, you know, has a nostalgia factor, but just, you know, ticks all the buttons. You feel, you feel something, you feel, you know, it moves your emotion, it makes you laugh in places, and it makes you, you know, can make you think a little bit too, should you choose to want to think about the message behind it. So those kind of pieces, I think, just stand the test of time and, you know, uh, audiences can take something new out of them every time they see them. And uh, when you watch plays or musicals at different points of your life, you can relate to the characters in different ways based on what you're going through at the time, what stage of life you're in. You know, as a kid, you might think about Liesl and, and Rolf falling in love at 16 and 17. And as an adult, you might think about the choices that Captain Von Trapp has to make when he's, you know, essentially putting his, his family's safety at risk by going against the Nazis. Right. So it, that's why I think plays like that work. You, you grow up with them. Your your personal life can have you see the show with with new with new eyes and new uh, and get new things out of it, depending on where you are in life. And it's certainly hard to beat a, a classic Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, score, which uh, certainly is timeless. <clears throat> no doubt about that. For sure. You know, we see the the actors and the actresses uh, on stage during the production, but. Uh, let, let's talk about what goes on a little bit behind the scenes and, and all the people uh, that you need to, to make a show like this come together that nobody will ever see. Yeah, I mean, it's really true. The actors, you know, sort of get all the public acclaim, but um, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes for months you know, on end to get to that point. You know, this is a show where not only do we have 46 people to put into costumes, but like the kids themselves have like six or seven costume changes. So, you know, multiply by the, the actors of the 46 who have multiple costumes, and you're probably talking 75 to 100 costumes that have to be made, found, or, you know, or borrowed or bought. Um, so we have, you know, co- a team of three doing costumes. We have a stage manager and an assistant stage manager. We have a choreographer, a music director. We have uh, people on lights and sound. And we have, for this, this is our biggest set we've ever built, and we have our our Herculean effort being led by our tech director, Jim Skadova. And, um, you know, we're, we're all pitching in too. Johanna does the props. Uh, so we've got a lot of people helping out. We've got a running crew that helps the show move during the show. So it's 46 actors on stage, but really about 60 or more, more people, you know, participating in some way on the production. Has the community stepped up, uh, pretty well to, to fill those slots? Yeah, I mean, one thing about our group is we try and pay some, you know, stipends for the people who are, you know, sort of doing the design work. We have a, an Emmy-winning set designer out of New York who we've worked with for years who designed the set for this. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's like, as I said, this is our biggest set we've built today. We're still building it. We're actually, I'm leaving this, this interview to go straight to start loading uh, set pieces down to the Colonial. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so uh, you know, people are, um, are are coming out. People are participating, and you know, 
as I mentioned, our goal is building community through theater. So not that doesn't just mean people who have the skills or the interest to be on stage, but people who want to get involved in, in the community aspect of, of the group and find other ways to contribute. Now, most everyone uh, probably listening to the sound of our voices today, Brian, has, has seen the Sound of Music movie, certainly a classic with Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer and so many more. But how does the uh, theatrical production differ from the movie in, in terms of you know, presentation, the sets, and, and really the scenic beauty uh, of the show? Well, there's a couple of different answers to that question. The first is that people will be surprised if they know the movie really well that songs are in different places in the play um, and are used sort of with different purposes. A great example is The Lonely Goat Herd, which in the movie is that big puppet show act in, in you know, late in the movie where the, the, everything is is good and happy and the kids are having fun with their new giant puppet thing and they're singing a random song about a goat herd. <laughs> in the play version, it's actually the song Maria sings to the kids when they're scared from the thunderstorm oh. because she's already sung favorite things with mother abbess. And so Kat gets to sing favorite things with yeah. Maria in the, uh, in the Abbey before she leaves for the rock trap. So that's one of the, so the main difference is that people who really know the movie, well, they'll hear some songs they don't recognize because they aren't in the movie oh. and they'll be like, Oh wait, that's not where that song goes. But yes, <laughs> in the play, that's where that song goes. Um, in terms of sort of the staging, we actually took a little non-traditional approach to how we wanted to stage the show. And uh, my daughter actually came up with the idea. Or she reminded me that the Von Trapps, when they came to America, toured the country for many years as a singing group. Mm-hmm. And because part of our, our you know, we're the, we're the resident theater company of the Colonial, and the Colonial has just come back, and the Colonial you know, has been around for so long, we took the approach of what if the Von Trapps had toured the, uh, in, as one of their tours in the 1940s had toured the Colonial, what story might they have told? And, you know, when they really sang, they were singing like classical music and things, but we just took a little poetic license and said, what if they actually toured the Colonial and uh, performed Sound of Music as their tour show? So our take oh. on the show is that we're actually watching the Von Trapps in 1942 perform with that being backed by the local theater guild and, uh, and they're actually on tour in North, uh, at the colonial, um, telling their story through musical theater. Ah, so very good. that gave us an opportunity to actually have a little fun, particularly with the lonely goat herd. And it didn't have to be real life that she's singing to them in their bedroom. We could actually make that a musical theater number with it by adding in an ensemble. And so we, we think we're doing the lonely goat herd on stage in a way that's probably never been done before. Where, uh, where the goat herd and all the characters that Maria thinks about come to life. And it's quite a sight with some wonderful costumes and some dance, and uh, I think people will have fun and get a kick out of that. It will remind them of the puppet show in the movie, but we're doing it on stage. Now, looking forward to that and the entire production. Now, I know last May, uh, May of 2022, uh, you directed, and, and you'll tell, you can tell where my head is at, what, one of my favorite shows, which is called something rotten at, yep. at the at the Colonial Theater. I had tickets to that show, but I also had COVID. So I had to miss oh. the, I had to miss it. Uh, how did that oh, go? Sorry. I was always curious to find out how, how that show went and how it was received. Um, you know, it was again goes back to 
Uh, it was received very well from those who attended. Yeah. The attendance was solid, but not amazing. We thought it would be better for a show that sounded so funny. And But, you know, it was still early when, like you said, you had COVID. A lot of people had COVID and people were still wary about going out. Um, but more importantly, we had a great cast of, I think it was about 30 in that one. And we all had a really good time working on it. It's an extremely fun show. Um, you know, a lot of big dance numbers. Uh, it, it's very, it's very silly. It's very, you know, you had the opportunities to be creative in the staging and, you know, the characters were fun to play. So it went really well. And we have a lot of people tell us that, you know, been one of their favorites they've seen so far, but you know, we're, we're a new company, so we're still building our audience in general. We don't have a, you know, an email list dating back, you know, however many years or, you know, his, history of attendees. So, we're kind of, you know, inventing things on the fly and growing an audience, you know, show by show. And, you know, doing shows like Sound and Music allow us not only to get a lot of people involved because it's a, a big cast, but, you know, maybe get some new fans who will come see it because it's the Sound of Music and then be like, oh, what's Powerhouse Theater Collaborative doing next time? I like that show. You know, let's go check something else out. Maybe check out something that they're less familiar with because, you know, they've seen a good show. They, you know, know we can do a good job and we have talented people on stage. And, you know, maybe that makes them take a chance on something they haven't heard of the next time. Yeah, I, I'm really disappointed. I missed that one. But uh, looking forward to the Well, sound we're glad of... you bought your tickets, though. Well, I, I did. I, I did. I did. And uh, uh, just well, disappointed we that we that I didn't see it. But I uh, saw the Christmas Carol and uh, I saw uh, Tower of Power perform there. Uh, it was actually on my birthday of this year. Uh, but uh, the the I find the acoustics there in that building are just amazing. Yeah, I mean people enjoy attending shows at the Colonial. the The atmosphere is really festive, and you know they spent a lot of time on restoring the original beauty. You know they had scaffolding up to the ceiling for many months as specialty painters were going over every detail of restoring the paint artwork on every tile in the ceiling, all the walls. So, yeah, there's really, I haven't been to another theater in the Colonial that quite has the aesthetic beauty of, of the Colonial. It's, it's definitely a, a treat to see it, and it's a real joy to perform in there and get to, you know, use that as, as one of the bases for our group. Well, Brian Halpern, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, seeing the entire production, but uh, focusing on Cat, of course. Uh, the Sound of Music, August 11th through the 13th. It's going to be a terrific show at the uh, Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia, which is coming back to life. And uh, Brian, thanks so much uh, for being a part of that, uh, that uh, renaissance uh, in uh, Laconia. Well, thank you for having me this morning. And please, when you come to the show, come say hello. I'll be at the back of the auditorium in the back of the house, probably running the microphone. So come say hello so I can meet you in person. Will do. Thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. That's uh, Brian Halpern. And uh, tickets still available, but going rapidly for The Sound of Music, the Colonial Theater, downtown Laconia, August 11th through the 13th. Take a break. We'll be right back. Kale and Company continues on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare go away. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Always fun to talk about the theater and uh, 
We are so blessed in, in this area to have so many uh, great uh, theaters and uh, performing arts centers. I, I think per capita, we, we probably have more than uh, any state uh, in the country, per capita, uh, that is. And uh, certainly the uh, Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia, uh, after being dormant for some 25 years, has uh, come back and made an impact in downtown Laconia. And uh, that is uh, always terrific. As I, I always think that uh, you know, theater brings people together like sports does the same thing. And it's just uh, terrific to have uh, that uh, beautiful uh, theater in uh, downtown Laconia, which uh, uh, has not been a very lively place in recent years. But that is uh, starting to change. Uh, Kat, I was talking uh, with uh, with your director, uh, Brian, uh, about uh, the, the fact that he produced something, or directed, I should say, uh, something rotten there last year. Did you happen to see that? I didn't. Oh, I I love that show. Was that last year? It was last. It was last May. Last May. Last May because uh, May. I I had tickets for quite some time. It, it's one of my favorite all time shows. I know it's you know you can tell what kind of a a, a person I am uh, <laughs> when when uh, you hear that something rotten is one of my favorite all time shows. But truly, it, it is. And uh, I, I, my daughter uh, first, uh, you know, uh, took me to uh, something rotten on Broadway uh, because a friend of hers was in the cast, Max Clayton. Uh, they, they both went to uh, Central High School in Manchester and Max uh, was in the cast of something rotten on Broadway. And uh, I didn't know what to expect. I knew very little about it except Shakespeare uh, was, was involved. But truly, I, I think a great score and a great show, and uh, I, I, would, I would love to see it produced. I mean, I know they did it at the Colonial Theater, and I had to miss it uh, ah. be, because it, it happened to be when I was going through COVID in May of of uh, 2022. So, uh, uh. I must have I must have been in a show. You, you must have been. I, I don't typically miss musicals that other theater companies are putting on unless I'm either auditioning or performing. Well, you know, but it, it doesn't sound too appealing, really. Something rotten. Why would you want to see that? But Oh, it's a great uh, dance uh, show. Uh, if uh, you know musical theater, you know something rotten. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. It, it, it's uh, hard to get a, a CD, a soundtrack a CD for that show. Yeah. I, you know, and uh, there, there's some available online, but they're, for whatever reason, uh, they're, they're not readily available. And uh, when I do see them, they're prohibitively expensive. So I, I usually just listen to it off YouTube. But the soundtrack for that show is uh, is incredible, I think. It really is. As is the sound of music. But, of course, everybody knows that. <laughs> everybody knows the incredible score yes. and uh, great music of the sound uh, of music, and I think I've I've told you this before. The first time I saw it was, was the movie version mm-hmm. when it came out in 1965, and uh, I was uh, growing up just outside of Boston in, in Melrose, about 10 miles from Boston. But you know, at that time in 1965, you didn't have the amount of uh, theater complexes that you do today. True. So you for a big movie. Like the Sound of Music was a huge movie back in 1965, 
you had to go to Boston mm. to see it, which was not a, a long trip at all. And uh, one half, and tick, but tickets because it was only playing at one theater, the Gary Theater in Boston, and because it, you know it was such a huge movie at the time, one of the biggest to come out in the '60s to that point. Uh, you know, tickets were hard to come by, especially yeah. for evening performances when uh, most people had the opportunity to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, one afternoon, my mother had off from work. She took it off because I had a, uh, at the school I was going to, they had a teacher's convention. And we had the afternoon off. It was in September. I can tell you the exact date, September 16th, 1965. So my mother said, well, we could go to the Red Sox-Indians game today at Fenway, or we could go see The Sound of Music because, you know, you, if you don't go in the afternoon, you, you'll never get tickets at night. So, you know, I had seen a lot of Red Sox games that year, and they, they weren't a very good team, but I did go to a lot of games in 1965. So I decided, well, let's go to The Sound of Music. So then... The the show, the music was was great. The show was great. Loved the movie. We went out to her car. First thing I did was wanted to turn on the radio and listen to see what the Red Sox were doing against the Indians in a meaningless game. Well, come to find out, the Red Sox pitcher that day, Dave Moorhead, pitched a no-hitter. <laughs> for, for the Red Sox. Of course they did. It, it was their first no-hitter in a long time. And uh, the last no-hitter for quite some time, when I'd say quite some time, I mean their last no-hitter for like over uh, 25 years uh, in 1965. So anyways, uh, I just was devastated, honestly, by missing that no-hitter. I mean, the sound of music was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But then to come out and find out that I missed a no-hitter. And you know, Kat, I have never seen, I've been to many, many baseball games in my time, mm-hmm. minor league, major league. I now have yet to see a no-hitter. Oh, no. Yet, yet to see one. <laughs> Divine uh, timing uh, is a real thing. Uh, timing is everything. Yeah. It, it is. I'm, you know, I'm glad I saw the sound of music, uh, but it, I'll, I'll always have it intertwined with that day. So anyway, before we got home, I had my mother stop at this uh, variety store uh, in, in Melrose, my hometown, where I, I picked out a congratulations card to send to Dave Moorhead, the guy who pitched the no-hitter, because I felt you know, I had to do something. I mean, I just felt it just it had an empty feeling. So I took the card into uh, my, my school class the next day. I think I was in what, the fifth grade at the time, something like that, and had everybody in the class sign the card. Congratulations to Dave Moorhead on your no-hitter. And I just felt better sending it with all the, you know, the signatures of the kids in my class on the card. So I just, I just felt better sending it. You're so sweet. That that was in September. Well, it was actually for, for myself, <laughs> well, more more than more than for him. Yeah. Because I I felt I had to do something. I was such a Red Sox fan uh, at that time, and, and still am. Uh, but you know, I just I just felt empty and had to do something. So it was more for me than it was for him. Uh, although, you know, we, we sent it to him, and that was in September. I know I sent it out the next day, September 17th, 1965. So fast forward a few months to like January of 66, 
I, I, you know, look at the mail one day and I, you know, as a kid in the fifth grade, you know, you don't get too much mail. So uh, I, I see an envelope, a, a white and blue envelope with logos of all the major league teams around the envelope, handwritten. So I, what's this? So I open it up and it's a two page letter from this guy, Dave Moorhead who pitched the no-hitter, plus an autographed, uh, like, postcard of him and said that, you know, he got a lot of, you know, messages of congratulations and telegrams when, I guess, people used to send telegrams uh, back in (laughs) 1965. Wow. And lots of letters and stuff, but very few meant more than the one sent from the fifth-grade class at the Roosevelt School in, in Melrose, Mass., my goodness. And it was a two-page letter. I mean, it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. So actually, it turned out to be a good thing. Be- mm-hmm. Because if I, you know, I, but I still haven't seen a no-hitter. Still want to see a no-hitter. <laughs> I mean, that was better than a no-hitter, in my opinion. In in getting the letter, yes. yes. It really and truly was, because I, I still have it. And uh, it's buried somewhere in my archives, but I do, I know I still have it. And, uh, and, and treasure it forever. At any rate, that's my little Sound of Music story, and I'll never be able to, you know, disassociate <laughs> the Sound of Music with missing the no-hitter. But at any rate, uh, we, we will be attending uh, sometime between the 11th and 13th of August at the Colonial Theater in Laconia. It's going to be a terrific show. It's shaping up. I know, Kat, you've been working hard on it, and it's going to be a fantastic show in an incredible theater, and uh, we urge everyone to attend. We will take a break. Kale and Company continues after these words on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. We are powered by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. If you uh, did not stay up until uh, about 1 o'clock last night, as I did. <laughs> Red Sox were winners last night or early this morning. 6-4 to four over the Seattle Mariners, snapping their three-game losing streak. So the rubber game of the series will be played this afternoon. So we get a break. We don't have to stay up till the wee small hours of the morning to watch the Red Sox uh, today. 4-10 uh, this afternoon is uh, game time. Brian Bayo. On the mound for the Red Sox last night was okay. Not your typical Bayo, but he did get through six innings, kept the Sox in the game, and got the win. He's now eight and six. Kenley Jansen came on in the ninth for a one, two, three inning and posted his 24th save. A big hit in the ballgame. The big hit of the ballgame was Christian Arroyo, second baseman with a two run double in the fourth inning for the Red Sox. And Alex Verdugo hit his first home run since July 8th. And Reese McGuire, the former New Hampshire Fisher Cat, behind the plate for the Red Sox last night doing the catching, hit his first home run of the season. Of course, he's been out uh, quite some time for the uh, Red Sox. So this afternoon, Cutter Crawford, 5-5, five and five, will be on the mound for the Red Sox. Yesterday, of course, was the Major League Baseball trading deadline, and the Red Sox did next to nothing 
People were expecting perhaps a, a major trade for the Red Sox to bring in some pitching help, but it did not happen. Did not happen. The only player they acquired after trading minor league right-hander Bradley Blaylock, they traded uh, Mr. Blaylock to Milwaukee for infielder Luis Urias or Urias. I'm not actually sure. It's either Urias or Urias. We'll have to find out when he joins the team. But first, but first, he will be sent to Worcester, the Woo Sox, Red Sox AAA affiliate. But this guy, Urias or Urias, hit 23 home runs for Milwaukee in 2021. Had 18 or 19 in uh, 2022. But this year had uh, just one as he has had an uh, injury riddled season and has only played 20 games for Milwaukee. Uh, so he will be sent to Worcester as you know, sort of a, a rehab stint. But uh, many people upset about the fact that the Red Sox uh, did next to nothing uh, in, the, uh, in the trading world. The biggest deal of the day was between the Mets and the Houston Astros. New York sending veteran right-hander Justin Verlander back to Houston for several minor league prospects. Uh, Verlander was a member, of course, of uh, last year's World Series champion, Houston Astros. So he's right back uh, in Houston as they prepare for another World Series run. So the Mets, over the last several days have traded two of the top pitchers in baseball for several minor league prospects, which many many times are minor league suspects and not prospects. But uh, the Mets got a lot of prospects, and uh, we'll see how it all pans out. But uh, Mets fans are irate, as they should be. They have pretty much... Uh, dismantled their entire team except for uh, Pete Alonso, their first baseman. He's about the only star they have now. I know they have Francisco Lindor, but he's been a, uh, a disappointment uh, in New York. At any rate, uh, Mets fans are livid about this because they're not entirely out of the player playoff picture, but they pretty much are now. They traded... Uh, Max Scherzer, their other outstanding starting pitching, a pitcher to the Texas Rangers uh, a few days ago. So Max Scherzer is gone. Justin Verlander is gone. They traded one of their outfielders, Tommy Pham, who spent some time with the Red Sox last year. So the Mets have really dismantled pretty much their entire team and uh, waving the white flag for 2023, looking to bounce back by 2025. That's what management is saying. But Mets fans are livid, and I can certainly understand that. I mean, you know, people buy their tickets in advance, uh, and, and the Mets were supposed to be one of the top teams in the National League this year. didn't work out that way. So they're dismantling the ship. 
And now fans who uh, bought tickets for uh, games at the City Field in New York for August and September, I think, are really going to feel shortchanged. They don't have an opportunity to see uh, Max Scherzer in action or Justin Verlander. Uh, they've traded off traded off other pieces of their team as well, and so they're going to be, uh, you know, pretty much a a Triple A team for the rest of the season. And the Yankees aren't much better. So it's a, a tough year for baseball in New York. Do I hear cheering about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought so, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the Yankee part of it, right? But uh, Verlander back to Houston, and they have uh, solidified their starting core. One of their other starters on the trading deadline from Bervaldez almost pitched a perfect game last night. Pitched a no-hitter, 2-0 win over the Cleveland Guardians. He allowed just one walk in the ball game, faced the minimum 27 batters. It was the first ever Astros no-hitter by a left-hander. 16 no-hitters in their franchise history, the first by a left-hander. A lot of those uh, no-hitters, many of them, were thrown by uh, Nolan Ryan years ago. But I've, I've yet to see my first no-hitter in person. Someday, someday my ship will come in. Well, if it seemed uh, that July was an extra wet month in Concord, well, you're right. Uh, total rainfall measured at the city airport was 63% higher than the long-term average for the month, 5.66 inches for the month of July compared to the normal 3.62. But Western New Hampshire not impressed by that rainfall total for Concord. By their standards in Western New Hampshire, we were practically dry here in the capital city. The National Weather Service just released precipitation totals for last month. It says Hanover saw 111% more rain than it usually does for July. Hanover, New Hampshire in the Upper Valley with 10.24 inches of rain in July. Normally they get 4.48 inches. While Keene Keene saw a whopping 170% increase in total rainfall. Keene, 12.1 inches of rain in the month of July versus an average in a regular July of 4.49 inches of rain. So yesterday we were talking with uh, D.J. Betancourt, the acting insurance commissioner for the state of New Hampshire, talking about flood insurance. Well, I hope uh, a lot of those people, the 30% of uh, homeowners who have flood insurance, I hope uh, many of them were in the western part of the state or in the upper valley, whether in the Keene area or the uh, Hanover area, 
because many of those areas were uh, just devastated by the rainfall. I mean, you've seen the footage on television with, uh, you know, the, the roads being washed out, uh, flooding in, in so many homes in the state of New Hampshire and uh, up into uh, Vermont as well. So if you're in uh, one of those areas, I would think about uh, acquiring some of that, uh, that flood insurance that we talked about uh, yesterday. Now, tomorrow, we're talking about the uh, League of New Hampshire Craftsmen's Fair, which is coming up starting this very weekend at Mount Sunapee. Now, uh, we will uh, talk about that tomorrow. And we're glad you could join us today. Thanks to uh, Brian Halpern, who's the director of The Sound of Music, taking place August the 11th through the 13th at the beautiful, refurbished Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia. Tickets are going rapidly. Yes, it is a big theater, but uh, tickets are limited. So make your decision. Buy those tickets and see one of the uh, great Broadway musicals of all time, The Sound of Music, live in Laconia. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thank you very much for listening. And if you missed any of it or just want to hear it again, you can do that right after 7 o'clock tonight here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, powered by Northeast Delta Dental. Have a great Wednesday, everybody.